you have a Bible, you might like to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, but you might also want to turn to um, Genesis, because I'm going to read from Genesis at the beginning of this talk today. Genesis chapter 3, in fact. Now, I'm uh, very conscious, as I prepared this talk, um, and in a lot of ways we keep seeing to talk about the same thing. Well, that's what happens, I suppose. Um, I hope you're finding this journey through Ecclesiastes helpful. Um, if you're visiting today, um, we're in this rather strange book, <laughs> which is a bit of a challenge. Um, but what it's really trying to do is just challenge us about the way we live. And one of the ways it does that is by challenging us about the truth that one day, in fact, we have to face the truth we're going to die. And um, we, f- we find that a difficult dynamic, I think, don't we? But I, I do hope that you're going to find today helpful, as I hope you found uh, talks in other weeks helpful. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3, um, the first five verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what does that have to do? with what we've been reading in Ecclesiastes. Well, let's read from Ecclesiastes and see if we can figure it out. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, first 12 verses. So I reflected on all this and I concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous, the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean, the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in the hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know well that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their gain is, their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. (coughs) Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where people are going, there is neither work nor planting nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, Nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. 
As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times. They fall unexpectedly upon them. So what was we just read got to do with what we read in Genesis, do you suppose? Well, the Genesis account, as you well know, reveals the problem of human sin, and human sin wrecks everything. The sin was the desire to be like God. The devil flatters Adam and Eve into thinking that they would be like God if they ate of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. Adam and Eve fell for the devil's flattery, and we've been falling for it ever since. Truth is, we want to be like God, don't we? We want to know everything, have everything, do everything, achieve everything, be happy forever, never left wondering, have all the answers, never have to live with mystery, and be remembered for all time. That's what we want, isn't it? That's what we hope for. That's what Adam and Eve hoped for. And my question would be this, how much do you still live as if you were God? Some commentators suggest that verse 7 of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has already approved what you do. So how are we to understand this and what the teacher is trying to say to us? The teacher here shows how he looks at the world as we know it. He wrote his book to shatter the idea that we have and the way we often look at the world that we can, in fact, be like God. His point is, and it has been throughout this book, if you know what's going to happen tomorrow... How would you live today? What he's been saying up to now is this. The life you have today is a gift from the hand of God. You have that gift for a short while and then it will be gone. Enjoy life now because tomorrow it might be gone. Life is gift, not gain. We are not in control. And what the teacher wants us to do again here is to look at life in God's world. He wants us to look again at the way the world really is, not the way we would like it to be. The mystery of the way life really is. Why things don't happen as we would like. He wants us to understand the truth of what happened all the way back in Genesis. That we are not God And that we are not in control. And we do not control our destiny. Now the teacher will present an alternative way to live. So are you ready? Verses 1 to 6, the teacher returns to a very familiar theme. He reminds us again of the one thing in life that is certain death. The certainty of your own death is something you simply cannot escape. Now here's a sobering thought. 
You are closer now to the hour of your death than you were when we began this series in Ecclesiastes. My aim this morning is to make you feel really good about life. (laughs) But it's true, isn't it? And the teacher wrestles with the truth that death comes to us all, no matter who we are, what we do, or how we live. He notes again in these verses that there are lots of things that we don't know in life. But he says, whatever happens, however it turns out, everyone dies. Some people, it seems, live good, faithful, honest, creative, helpful lives. Others live selfish, hurtful, deceitful lives. But all end in the same way. We know that for certain. In verse 3, the teacher wrestles with exactly the same thing you and I do. Verse 3. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes us all. One thing he's saying here is, death is evil. And it is, isn't it? It is, back to Genesis, not the way it was meant to be, but it's a result of sin. But he's also saying something else, I think. He's saying that the way death does its work is evil. Actually, we know that to be true, don't we? I certainly do. My dad, age 35, popular minister of an Anglican church, suddenly dies unexpectedly in the prime of his life, leaving a young family effectively homeless. And as I was getting up this morning and thinking about this, I I remember we lived in a caravan after he died because we had nowhere to live. That's the way death does its work. I don't really need to say any more, do I? Because each of us carries the burden of the way death does its work. We all have stories, don't we? It is an outrage. It is unfair and it is unjust. But there is something important, really important here for us to notice. The teacher is saying that's what it's like under the sun. And by saying that, he's leaving open the opportunity to see the world from a different perspective. Under the sun, the world makes no sense. But there is another perspective. That is God's perspective. And the teacher invites us here to put these two perspectives together. We have a little picture of the truth. And in our perspective, death is certain whoever we are, or whatever we've done. God knows the big picture that we do not and cannot know. And when we put them together, the teacher says life is worth living. Verse 4 makes a strong and simple point, even if in a slightly odd way. Because verse 4 says this, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a dead dog is better off than a, uh, sorry, a live dog is better off than a dead lion. His point is that to be alive 
is to have the day of opportunity that you do not have when you are dead. If you add it to verse 5 and 6 into the mix, it becomes this. All the things you think are the most important in the world, they will in fact disappear. And death means none of that makes sense. But because this is true, these two perspectives, life works like this. God comes to us in Jesus and says, trust me. Walk with me. Love me. Put your hand in my hand. Believe my word. Stop trying to understand everything. To be in control of everything. To live up, to tie up all the loose ends. To have perfect peace and wealth and happiness. Stop striving for all those things and stop it now. If you can't see that life doesn't always make sense, then something is coming your way which will prove it to you. Death is coming. So the question the teacher is asking us is simply this. What does it mean to die well? I actually think one of the problems we have in church is we do not have a good theology of dying. In fact, I had a conversation with somebody about that around a bedside a month or so ago. They actually asked me the question. Standing around the bedside of somebody who is in fact dying. Ian, can you die well? Was the question. The answer is yes. Here's a couple of things dying well does not mean. It does not mean that when you are touched by death, you do not have a broken heart, because you do. And you don't need to pretend otherwise. It does not mean that when you are touched by death, you don't experience suffocating grief, because most probably you do. To die well means to understand that God has placed limits on creatures who want to be gods. To die well means I realize death is not just something that happens to me. It happens in fact because I am a sinner and in that sense I am the cause of my own death. To die well means that I live in a broken world and that I am part of the brokenness. To die well means I realize God owes me nothing or a long life. To die well means I understand that I am only alive today because of his immeasurable grace. To die well means that from the moment I was born, I have been laying up treasure in heaven and that is where my heart is. To die well means that everything I have in this world, I I hold with open hands because I love Jesus more than anyone or anything. To die well means I am happy to go home with God. And friends, if you haven't figured it out yet, you already sung that if you sung the words. Because there's one of those songs that saying, this is my phrase because I can never remember the words when I need to. When the hour of my death comes, help me keep singing, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's what you've already sung. When my turn comes, that's what I want to be singing. Do you know, I've stood by the bedsides of many wonderful Christians who've been part of this church community 
And most often, the thought that goes through my mind is this. I hope when my turn comes, I'm going to be saying what they are saying. And many, many of them have said to me, Ian, I don't know why God doesn't just take me home. Well, I hope when it comes to my turn, I can say that. And I hope you can too. Because that, friends, is dying well. We can, in truth, embrace death by living well in God's perspective. So the teacher would ask, how are you doing? Actually, he'd probably ask, how are you living? If death is the one thing that is certain in life, then there are many things that are uncertain. Let me read again verses 11 and 12 of chapter 9. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. A fish caught in a cruel net or birds taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall on them unexpectedly. We tend to live the wrong way round. We tend to live that the one thing that's certain will never in fact come. And that the things that are in fact uncertain are certain. Now what the teacher writes here is a bit like what we read in Proverbs. You know all those Proverbs? Proverbs are things that are generally true. So here with the teacher. He's writing things that are generally true. Generally, the race is won by the fastest, isn't it? The battle is won by the strongest. The brilliant do normally get the best paid jobs. But not always. The word chance in the NIV, if you've got, I don't know what you, version you've got, but in verse 12 there's, um, the word chance comes, um, is actually simply means unforeseen events. His point is unforeseen events happen. The truth is, you cannot know or predict the future. One of my favorite six-word life stories. Remember I bought that book with six-word life stories in it? One of my favorite ones that I read was this. Macular degeneration. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> you might need to ask a friend if you don't get that one. And that is the teacher's point here. Life is a, has a way of dealing events that we simply never saw coming. When we're young, we have dreams about life, don't we? And you can still think that if you decide you're young, right? What we'll do, who we'll marry, who, what we'll achieve, where we'll live. The teacher says, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. What he really wants us to do is to understand that it is better not to put our faith in these uncertain things and far better to put our faith in something that is in truth not under the sun. So the teacher has reminded us of what is certain, our death, and what is uncertain, that would be life. And he asks again the question, so how then do we live? And in verse 7 to 10, he tells us what he thinks. 
He thinks a life well lived is one well lived today. A life well lived is a life well lived today. Another way of saying that might be this. Today, enjoy the simple pleasures and gifts that God has given you. Verse 7 begins with the word go. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. Do it as if you mean it, is what he says. Eat and drink with pleasure. Enjoy it. There's good news for you. You can go home and you can eat lunch and you can have a glass of wine and you said, I can do this all right because the vicar said so. (laughs) Well, I didn't say so. It's in here. Go. Eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Because it's a gift that God has given you and God loves nothing more than for his children to enjoy his gifts. I've just wrecked my script. (laughs) Anyway, that's all correct. Go and enjoy it. Any of you seen the film Dead Poets Society? Great film. Tragic film, but great film. And in the film, the teacher encourages his pupils to adopt the motto, Carpe Diem. What does it mean? Seize the day. The teacher in Ecclesiastes says, seize the day. Seize each day. Seize every day. Go enjoy it, because these are gifts that God has given you to enjoy. The fact that God has already approved what you do simply means that these are good gifts and simple pleasures that God gives you to enjoy. Go enjoy them. Here's a phrase I love. God takes pleasure in your pleasure. God takes pleasure in your pleasure. If you're a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, or you've got nephews or nieces or kids somewhere around you, you know that, don't you? You love to see them enjoying themselves, don't you? Good holiday for the kids, good holiday for the parents, don't we say? We just love to see them getting on, don't we? We get pleasure out of their pleasure. God gets pleasure out of your pleasure. God gets pleasure when they play the piano really well, even if you play a couple of bum notes. He goes, oh, it doesn't matter. Actually, that was better probably that way. <laughs> so when you're in scratch Oscar playing E and F, God's going, way to go. <laughs> and if you play E and F in completely the wrong places, God's going, doesn't matter. They're not, they can't hear you anyway. Don't worry about it. They're so caught up in worshipping me, they're not bothered about that. I take great delight in E and F. And in fact, God will take great delight in F, if that's all you can play. Nowhere in the Bible does it have to say you have to sing in tune in church. It just says make a joyful noise. Yeah. <laughs> so enjoy. Belt it out. Sing it from your heart. doesn't matter if the person in front turns around and goes, whoa. <laughs> you, you would not be allowed to say this, but you could be thinking, and then you'd have to repent, I'm a better Christian than you, because I'm, I'm in... No, never mind. <laughs> enjoy it. God greatly enjoys watching you take pleasure in the gifts that he has greatly blessed you with. So go enjoy them. Now, seriously, for me, that is a massive challenge. Um, l- learning to enjoy today and the simple pleasures of today. God longs that you will enjoy his pleasure. That, that's the main meaning of the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is gift, not gain. For God so loved the world that he gave, and he's still giving, because it is in the very nature of God to give gifts to those who he loves. When God saw what the world he'd made, what did he say? Behold, it was... No, he didn't. Very good. Yeah. Well done, theologian, David. God said it's very good. Sin fractures and distorts everything, 
but it doesn't uncreate. The teacher suggests in verses 7 to 10, if you want to go and read it later, some things that you can enjoy, but he could have said much more. And this list that I'm going to read now is not exhaustive. You can add your own stuff. Ride a bike. Go for a walk. Run in the rain. Laugh with a friend until you cry. Listen to Beethoven or jazz or country or whatever it is that you like. Spend some money. Take a friend out to dinner. Go do the gardening. That's never going to be something I'm going to enjoy, but you might. Adopt a child. Give away your riches. Serve somebody else. Spend the afternoon figuring out what you could add to that list. And how do you do all these things? Well, the teacher says in verse 10, whatever your hand finds you to do, do it with all your might. Or another way of saying that is with everything you have. The teacher is saying, I think, that the people who truly know that they are dying are in fact the people who are most truly alive. That is death by living. They are not here to live forever, but they live now, today, with and for others. So the teacher has challenged us with two important things in this chapter, and the teacher wants to remind us that this world is not our home. The reminder of our death is to challenge us to seek, to not to seek our security here. If we do, actually, it will only bring disappointment and despair. The reminder of God's gifts is to challenge us to embrace God's bigger and far better picture. What God offers and what gives to us here in this life now actually only serves to point to what is yet to come. And here's where it starts to get really good. Because there is a banquet, friends, the likes of which you and I cannot really even begin to put into words that awaits those whose hearts turn to God in the here and now. Today we eat and drink and enjoy God's gracious gifts in a fallen world filled with brokenness and heartache. But then, one bright hour, one fine day, we will eat and drink and enjoy God's gracious gifts in the city of the King, in whose presence, remember, you are very welcome. The master of the universe, the great I am. And there death will vanish and we will enjoy him forever. And then living will be living as we've always longed for it to be. Amen.